You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. Well, May 27th, 2005. It was a Friday. How do I know it was a Friday? Because Friday is the day that I generally don't come into the office. And I was at home able to watch something quite intentionally on television during the day. It was a Friday, May 27th, 2005. And I was tuning in to the live telecast of the sentencing of Chappelle Corby. Uh, And uh, I can recall in that moment my feelings of uh, dismay, of uh, disbelief in some ways, sadness, certainly, despair, when they read out the sentence, 20 years for that young woman. And of course, if you've seen the footage, she started to shake and almost convulse. And this was live television as she experienced clearly despair and terror as she contemplated the hopelessness of her situation. I remember being overcome with sadness and and actually kind of breaking down. And it wasn't to do with guilt or innocence. I've got my own views on that. But it was just seeing somebody live receiving a sentence like that. I mean, it's, it got me quickly thinking about all the implications of that decision for that young woman, barely out of her 20s, the loneliness, the isolation, the potential for abuse, just the past conditions generally, a career shattered, a life irreversibly damaged. Uh, and courtroom scenes can be like that. They're full of drama, highly charged. Judgments are passed with massive life implications, both for the accused or the convicted and for those in their, in their family. Reading about these things is one thing. Seeing it on the nightly news is one thing. But seeing it live coming to you right there, I found that was quite something else. I'd not experienced that before and it was just something I'll never forget. But, you know, you can't begin to compare that courtroom, that courtroom scene or even the one we're seeing now on television with Oscar Pistorius. You can't really compare those courtroom scenes with the events in Pilate's Palace 2,000 years ago. And I want to back up a little bit and uh, I want to uh, bring, bring uh, Drew into this as well. I want to introduce the name of this series, by the way. Uh, for those who are visiting with us, it's called, we're, we're running through a series called On Location, at Easter. And we're tracing through the key events of that first Easter. Last week, we had a look at the garden scene. Uh, today, it's the courtroom. Next week, it's the hill of death. And then, of course, on Easter Sunday, we're going to pull out all the stops and we're going to go straight to the empty tomb and all that that means for us. So courtroom scenes can be emotion charged and they can be very powerful. And here was Jesus in Pilate's palace. God's son, in the form of a man, experiencing what can only be described as a mock trial. That's about the best you can say. A a rabid mob screaming for his blood. And one man, one man with the power to stop it all and send the crowds back home. Pontius Pilate, a real figure from history, by the way. In 1961, in an archaeological dig in Jerusalem, they found 
a limestone, a large limestone with Pontius Pilate on it and the years of his reign. It's in a museum today in Jerusalem. It's called the Pontius Pilate Stone. The archaeologists have wonderfully creative ways of uh, naming the things they find, the Pontius Pilate Stone, and it's there, and it's further proof, it's further evidence, as Loretta has already mentioned, of the authenticity, the historicity of the life and times of Jesus Christ. Well, Pilate is a man who, in the 10 verses earlier read to us by Loretta from John 18, he says seven things. Now, he may have said more, but, but there are seven things recorded in these 10 verses. He said a lot of other things, by the way, in, when you get the cumulative story together from all the Gospels. But in, this, in these 10 verses, he said seven things. First thing he said was this. What do you accuse this man of? It was directed, of course, to the out-of-control mob who were outside his palace. He was addressing them. And that was followed by, will you take him and try him according to your law? Now, this was Pilate's first attempt to rid himself of the problem of dealing with this man, Jesus, whom I believe even at this early stage he suspected was, was innocent. But seeing that course of action was going nowhere, he then asked Jesus about the very thing he's being accused of. Are you the king of the Jews? And the answer given by Jesus is quite a tricky one he says does this question come from you or has somebody told you about me it's it's Jesus sort of you know playing with his mind a little bit and so he he comes back sharply Pilate comes back am I a Jew it's your own people who have handed you over to me and from this point in the conversation or should we say the interrogation Pilate chooses three rather short and very direct questions first one What have you done? What have you done? To which Jesus responds with a reference to the otherworldliness of his kingdom, which leads Pilate to ask, are you a king? And our Lord then takes the opportunity to powerfully and succinctly really outline the the essential components of the gospel. Verse 37, look at this. You say I'm a king. I was born and came into the world for this one purpose, to speak about the truth. Whoever belongs to the truth listens to me. Whoever belongs to the truth belongs or listens to me. And that prompts Pilate, of course, to come back with one of his most famous sayings. What is truth? Now, friends, that's not really what you want to hear from a judge in a court of law, is it? You think about that. You don't want to hear the person who's been given the responsibility of trying to ascertain what is fact and what is fiction. You don't want to hear him saying, well, what is truth? (laughs) That's not exactly what you want to hear in a court, which leads us to make an observation, which is the only observation you can make really about Pilate under these circumstances. And it's this, Pilate was a man under pressure. Pilate was a man under huge pressure pressure here's a man who is used to dealing with crimes like this dozens of them every month not like this rather crimes of all descriptions you think of every sort of crime you can imagine Pilate it would have come across his desk uh, or across his palace forecourt but and doubtless he became very good at making judgments no doubt but on this day he was entering a world that was unfamiliar to him 
He was entering a world involving extreme religious claims, a, a world of cosmic, spiritual expectations. And he was feeling the heat. He was feeling the heat. He was feeling the pressure. In the first instance, he was feeling pressure from the crowd. In our relatively peaceful and civilised society, we don't see mob violence very often. And when we do, as in the infamous Cronulla riots, also in the summer of 2005, we, we find them so abhorrent and so shocking that we talk about it, we talk about it, we analyse it, we write about it for years afterwards. But in some countries, it's almost a way of life. We see it on television every night, mob violence, people just getting stirred up and just taking law into their own hands, see it all through the Middle East and other parts of Africa and so on. And it was certainly prevalent in the New Testament times, in the time of Jesus, there's riots in Ephesus, makings of a riot here outside of Pilate's palace, this bloodthirsty crowd, many of whom only days before would have been waving palm branches and saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, welcome Jesus, you're our man, terrific to have you in our city. And now the tide has turned and they've been stirred up and whipped up into a frenzy. And they only have one outcome in mind and Pilate could sense this. In fact, they, they put a little bit more pressure on him in the next chapter. In verse 12 of chapter 19, you can check it. They say, of course, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar's. Ooh, <laughs> that, would have, that would have got to him. That would have stopped him in his tracks. Couldn't afford to fall out with Caesar. But friends, there was another form of pressure being applied here and it was this, pressure from his own conscience. Pressure from his own kind. He could tell Jesus was innocent. I mean, primarily due to the, the lack of charges. Just a lot of shouting, a lot of jeering. Where's the charge sheet? You know, where, where are the witnesses? Where, where's, the, where's the documentation? And so this inner battle for Pilate is described in even greater detail in the following chapter of, of John and in other Gospels. You remember in Matthew's account, uh, Pilate's wife has a dream. And she comes to Pilate and says, don't, 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 don't have anything to do with this man. I've had a dream and ooh, where to stay clear of this, of this innocent man. In the end, of course, in a, in a futile effort to, to rid himself of the guilt of what he's done to, to Jesus, he washes his hands ceremonially and just, you know, wipes, dusts the water off as a way of trying to say, well, this is not, I, I've got nothing to do with this. It's recorded in Matthew 27, verse 24, a futile exercise. But friends, the greatest form of emotional and spiritual pressure being applied to Pilate is pressure from the sheer strength, courage and conviction of Jesus himself. That's where the real pressure is being applied. Here he was in the midst of, here was Jesus in the midst of all the accusation, all the shouting, all the derision, all the screams, all the jeering, and he's standing resolutely and firmly with a dignity that must have been quite unnerving for those who were close. I mean, just the sheer dignity of the man. It must have been very unnerving, particularly for someone like Pilate who was really in close proximity. And it raises the question, are our Bibles wrong? in the way they describe these verses. In my Good News Bible, the heading is Jesus before Pilate. Or is a more accurate heading, Pilate before Jesus? 
In other words, who really was on trial? You see this, I think we're seeing it in a strange sort of way now with the terrible things that are happening to one of our countrymen, Peter Crester. You know, there's a, an Australian journalist, uh, international journalist, going about his work. He gets arrested on some trumped-up charges. He's thrown into prison now for more than 100 days with very little, if any, proper legal representation, being deprived of a lot of his basic human rights, being refused bail time after time. And you have to ask yourself the question, who really is on trial? Is it Peter Crester? Or is it an unjust, unfair, undemocratic legal system? And it doesn't take much to figure out what really is on trial. But that's an aside. You know, if Jesus was on trial today in a country like Australia, he would be asked the question, do you promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? And and, and kind of um, makes me smile to think of the answer that Jesus may give under those circumstances. That won't be a problem. You see, I am the truth. You're looking at the truth. You're talking to the truth. I would like to see the duty sergeant handling that particular response. You see, friends, at the bottom line, that's why Pilate was so ill at ease. That's why he was experiencing so much inner turmoil. He was having a direct encounter with the truth. Full on. And that leads me to say this, ultimately an encounter with Jesus is an encounter with the truth. The truth about God, our Heavenly Father, the truth about ourselves, not just our fallenness, but also our potential for redemption and reconciliation with our Father through Jesus Christ. An encounter with Jesus is an encounter with the truth about the nature of life, how we're meant to live life in harmony with God, in harmony with each other, in harmony within ourselves. It's an encounter with the truth about eternity and the absolute certainty of life beyond the grave. Can I share with you a little something that happened this week with, uh, with Warwick? And I, I know he would want me to share this with you because he's keen to get his message out. I, I popped in on him on Friday. And uh, as I was leaving, he, he drew me close and he said, because he's finding it a little difficult to speak, And he said, I told my boys, if you get to the end of your life and there's nothing, what's the point? I told him that. And I said, well, that's exactly what the Apostle Paul says, isn't it? And his eyes, does he? I said, I said, well, yes, he does, and, and, and tried to remember as much of the verse from Corinthians as I could. And I said, I'll bring that verse in. We'll read the whole thing, those verses, when I, when I come next, next time. And I went in yesterday, and uh, I read these, these words. If the dead are not raised, neither has Christ been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is a delusion and you are still lost in your sins. It would also mean that the believers in Christ who've died are lost. If our hope in Christ, here it is, if our hope in Christ is good for this life only and no more, then we deserve more pity than anyone else in all the world. But the truth is that Christ has been raised from death as the guarantee that those who sleep in death will also be raised. Wow. And he really lit up with that. That's where the rubber meets the road. When Jesus 
made that claim to his disciples. We're familiar with it. I am the way, the truth and the life. He wasn't talking about relative truth. He wasn't talking about situational truth. You know, that truth that sort of varies depending on what the context is. And he certainly wasn't talking about whatever truth. The kind of truth that's derived from whatever a person thinks is the truth. That was Pilate's very cynical approach. What is truth? Who knows? Who cares? Whatever. Now, friends, that word, whatever, that's the word that's come to symbolise the apathy, the ambivalence, the relativism of what we know today as the postmodern era. Now, we may be highly critical of Pilate, and with good reason. But can you see how there's a very real sense in which he and his courtroom encounter with Jesus is representative of us? As we have our encounters with the Lord, both our initial encounter when we first come to know him and the encounters we have in the daily experiences of our Christian lives. It's all about encounters with the truth. In the moral and ethical and spiritual choices we make, there's always pressure from the crowd. Pressure to just go along with the crowd. Everybody's doing it. Who cares? Whatever. Just get on. There's pressure for, for you and me. It's every day. Pressure to conform. There's pressure from our own conscience. Deep down, we know. We know what's right and wrong. It's an ongoing struggle in our daily experience. It even was for somebody like the Apostle Paul. And we're familiar with this. He talks about this in, in Romans in, uh, in, chapter, in chapter 7. And verse 19, look what he says. I don't do the good I want to do. Instead, I do the evil that I don't want to do. This is the Apostle Paul, saintly man. And he's got a struggle with his conscience. Fortunately, he says, who's going to give us the victory? Who's going to get me out of this? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory. That's, That's life in Christ when you claim that. But friends, the main pressure we feel, you and I feel, is what comes from what we see in the person of Jesus Christ. That's the main pressure. I'll tell you why. You see, you might have problems with the institutional church. Many do. You might have problems with what some people do in the church. Many do, and with good reason. You might even have problems with parts of the Bible. Many do. But when we look at the striking, sinless Son of God, Saviour of the world, we're looking at truth personified right there. And we are compelled to make a response. And the question that has to come to all of us this morning, have you made that response? Are you making that response on a daily basis? I never cease to marvel at how God works in the, in the hearts and minds of, of us preachers. Um, I start to think in earnest, real earnest, about the morning message Monday. Don't, don't think about it before then. We've got the plan, but start to think about it Monday. And last Monday, I was shaving, and this hymn came into my mind, which i got to tell you, it was on the way out when I was a teenager over in the South Perth Church of Christ. In an era where we specialised in dirgy hymns, even this one was considered very dirgy, very slow. (laughs) And, And I couldn't believe, having not thought about it for all those years, I couldn't believe that with the exception of a couple of words, I could recite the whole first verse and could recite the the chorus verbatim. 
And it was an amazing moment because it was directly related. And I called Bevy in because she's been around for a while. Uh, not that you ever know. No. But uh, I started to hum this song. And I said, do you remember this song? And she said, mm, kind of. And then I started to sing the words. And she said, oh, yeah, yeah, I do remember that song. And I can only conclude that God wanted me to share it with you this morning. Not, not, not in song. <laughs> hey, no, no, no need for panic. Um, but here it is. First verse. Jesus is standing in Pilate's hall, friendless, forsaken, betrayed by all. Harkin, I said it was old, <laughs> written in 1905 by Albert, Albert, let's get this man's name right, give him credit, Albert Simpson, 1905. Harken, what meaneth this sudden call? What will you do with Jesus? And then the chorus. What will you do with Jesus? Neutral you cannot be. One day your heart will be asking, what will he do with me? And then the third verse, which I hadn't memorised, but looked it up. Will you evade him as Pilate did? Or will you choose him? Oh, sorry, will you evade him as Pilate tried? Will you evade him as Pilate tried? Or will you choose him, whate'er betide? Vainly you struggle from him to hide. What will you do with Jesus? What will you do with Jesus? Neutral you cannot be. One day your heart will be asking, what will he do with me? Let's pray, shall we?